Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey everybody, Patrick Connor here and welcome to the Knuckles and Gloves podcast. I'm here with my boy Eris Pina, CompuBox operator, and of course, like myself, a fight history file. And we're talking about the worst refereeing performances of all time. And you know why we're talking about that, Eris. Why are we talking about those? Oh man, because of the fiasco that just happened this past week and my friend, that's why we're talking about it. <laughs> you know, it, it's like everybody's got a varied opinion as far as whether or not, you know, Josh Taylor should have won. They got strong opinions too, Jack Catterall, but I think nobody is disputing wherever you sit on who should have won that fight. And we'll get to that in a sec, because I want to know what you think, but wherever it is you sit on who won that fight, I don't think anybody is arguing that it was a shitty officiating performance. It was a poor refereeing performance. And I mean, that's why we're here. Absolutely. Um, To answer your first question, I thought Catterall definitely won. I'm not going to say it was a robbery on the on the likes of Joel Casamayor against um, Jose. What was it? Jose, Jose Armando Mar- Santa Cruz. I remember yes. that shit. That was bad. That's, that's like the that that's that bad. That's what you would call. I would say, like the tier. You know what I mean? Like the one that base all others off. At least in modern times. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I remember that. I remember what what like it was like on a pay per view or something like that. But it was, was on the other so kind of a pay per view. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So. It was a close fight, but I mean, it was one that I thought Catterall clearly won. But yeah, dude, the referee was a complete, I mean, what a mess he made. He, and not only was it overly officiating, he just didn't have a clue. He was screwing up left and right. He just, he just didn't see, he was a deer caught in headlights. And you can always tell there's a ref, when there's a referee that has no business being belonging on a world stage of that type of level. Just they look completely lost in there. And this was it. Yeah, man. Um, I agree with you on all counts there. I thought that Jack Catterall deserved that fight, deserved to win the decision. I don't think that it was a massive robbery or anything like that. And I mean, I think that if you just look at the fight round by round, at least for me, it was difficult to not come to a conclusion where Jack Catterall won clearly six or seven rounds. And the, the rest, apart from maybe two or so, where I thought Taylor won pretty clearly, were kind of up for grabs. And it just looked like a close fight that Jack Catterall should have won. Um, And to have it taken away, at least in part by poor officiating, just sucks, dude. It sucks for him. It sucks for fans. And it sucks to also, again, hear shit and read shit like, this is why I'm not a boxing fan. That's why I don't watch anymore. That's why boxing's not mainstream anymore. And I mean, they ain't wrong. I mean, I'm not going to argue with them. It's, It's at least partially true. But in any case... It's uh, boxing has a long history of, you know, the, the third man in the ring just kind of fucking shit up every so often, more often than not, when you're not noticing the referee in there at all, like that's what you want. You don't want to notice even that they're in there whatsoever, except with the exception 
of Steve Willis when he's doing his faces and shit because he generally does a pretty good job but him and the expressions is great beyond that you don't want to even see him in there unfortunately today we're talking about fights where the referee was far too much of you know the the narrative yeah there's certain refs in history like you said that were just master class because they didn't make the fight about themselves they were there. some of them still around yeah. some of them some of these uh good refs and bad refs still around yeah, man, it seems like the bad ones just seem to never disappear, though. Why don't they just linger year after year? For good um, reason. We'll talk about one today. Yeah, but I mean, um, but others like guys, you know, like the late, great Mitch, uh, Mitch Halpern, for example. I always like to bring him up because, you know, when he unfortunately passed in 2009, uh, yeah, it was 2000. Um, when he passed away in 2000, he was a young guy still. You know, I think mm-hmm. only in his early 30s, whatever it was. So he definitely still would have been officiating today. But, um, you know, for example, someone like that, and there's tons of others that, you know, I can't even think of off the top of my head that clearly just, you know, they stay out of the way, they do their job, and they're very good at what they do. Even Steve Willis is really good at what he does. He just makes the facial reactions that just make him part of the show more than anything, but he's a damn fine ref. Yeah, he's a pretty good referee. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's just the yeah, it's, it's just, just the, the reactions that he does, and you can't help it because they're absolutely hilarious. You know what I mean? The way he walks yeah. in there and everything, and then when a guy absolutely gets clopped and you see his eyes bug out and his face contorting, it's it's hilarious. But Yeah, man, it's good. He's shit. a really, really damn good ref. So, I mean, you have the other day between Josh Taylor and Catterall, you had unnecessary points taken away. You had over officiating, you know, kind of stepping into the fight when they didn't need to be stepped into uh, breaking the action, pulling the guys it aside. Was bad. He, was, he was completely out of depth. And yeah. there's nothing worse than when you take a point away that shouldn't, that's clearly not justified, realize you fuck up. And then a couple of rounds later, try to do a makeup call by taking a point away from the other guy. Clearly when he didn't deserve it either, it's just really bad. and shows how inept you are at this. Yeah. That, and that's the kind of refereeing that shouldn't be get like that guy shouldn't be getting any more big assignments. That guy needs and to I don't work think his he will, back. man. He needs massive training. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't even know if that's going to be able to help him out because it seems like he's pretty, you know, set in his ways or whatever, what he does, man. That, that was bad. Yeah, it was poor. So what's another, like, if, if somebody's talking about, like, a bad refereeing job from history or, like, a notably bad refereeing job, dude, what's your opening salvo here? I mean, I don't even say it would be my first one usually, but it's just because I watched it the other day, and it still makes me laugh every time I watch it, right? And not only that, it was so bad that I can't recall another time he ever refereed a big fight or a fight after it, but that was just Jersey Joe Walcott. Easy pick, basic pick, but still just... If you're going to talk about the one of the worst, you know, botched jobs in history, you got to go with, you know, Joe Walcott and wandering around having no idea what the hell is going on around him. It just, even though he wasn't that old, he looked like a feeble old man that did not belong anywhere near a ring that night. Yeah, dude, that was, that was bad overall. Just kind of looking like he didn't know where the hell, he didn't even know which way was up, dude. Nah, <laughs> nah, man, it was, it, 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 it's just a test of time. Like, I mean, you're, if you're everyone's so set on what's going on with Ali and Liston and the phantom punch and Liston flopping and everything going on the hysterics of that, that you almost forget to watch Walcott because that's like a whole scene in itself. <laughs> it's like looking around, it's, like, you know, it's like a search just, party, huh? 
if you don't pay attention to Ali dancing around and yelling at Liston to get up and Liston clearly, clearly, you know, flopping around and not trying to get up on his own and just watch what Walcott's doing is one of the funniest things you'll ever see. I mean, it, it's hysterical. Yeah, it's, he, it's basically like a referee doing uh, John Travolta in fucking in Pulp Fiction. Yeah, yeah. He, <laughs> he walks in, you know, he, he even before that was happening, he just clearly like he was the wrong pick. He's having trouble trying to break him up and it was going to be a long night for him. But then after Liston goes down and you see him, he, he's trying to make a count. He can't control Ali at all. Ali's running around yelling, being typical Ali that he was. And then right when that happens, you know, Walcott, just ignores both of them just walks away no ref i've ever seen even just do that he just completely ignores what's going on because nat fleischer who i guess holds the high command of everybody at that point in time apparently right calls over to walcott and then like you just point out he's like oh what what and then wobble you know wobbles over there and at this point listen gets up and they resume fighting with no one officiating it (laughs) and then walcott finally runs back over and stops the fight well, like there was this big hubbub, you know, there's a big fucking complaining section ahead of that fight because already you have Muhammad Ali who has, you know, he, he defeats Sonny Liston as Cassius Clay. And then it was either the next day or the day after that, the, he announces that he's going to be a Cassius X. And then yeah. like the next day was actually going to be Muhammad Ali. And so there was a massive fear because of that. And then uh, the involvement of, uh, you know, any sort of Muslim involvement, especially to white America at that point was scary as shit. They didn't know what to do with it. And then, you know, the the potential mob involvement on Liston's part. And then there was like, what was it, three or four or five cities that the fight was supposed to have taken place in before they settled in Lewiston, Maine. And there was a massive, you know, outcry. There was because people were like, where the fuck is Lewiston, Maine? Like, why, why would we be taking a heavyweight championship fight to Lewiston, Maine? And actually, there was uh, one of the people who led that was Rocky Marciano, believe it or not. Rocky yeah. Marciano was talking about, you know, this is going to be the death of boxing. You know, look at how dead boxing is right now and all this type of shit, which is especially ironic because they talked about uh rocky marciano and his emergence on tv in his day is that that was going to be the death of boxing so i irony there but regardless the fact that it was going on in lewiston was already a big problem for a bunch of people and then uh they were talking about maine's you know handling of it was going to be poor and then you bring in jersey joe walcott who's an inexperienced referee and it's you know the entire thing was just awful dude and it was if you uh see photos from the venue too there aren't that many people in attendance it's pretty small compared to what you would think would be happening for a heavyweight title fight i mean it's maine you know maine has always been kind of a it is one of the oddest locations ever for a heavyweight title it's just weird everything you just mentioned and what went down beforehand that's clearly what happened too and the fight was originally gonna be in boston one of the locations you know so it's kind of close proximity and another thing to mention too but not to veer too much off into this but there's like Remember the postponement originally, I guess Liston by all accounts was in the best shape of his career at that point and was like really motivated for a rematch. And then Ali, you know, gets the emergency um, hernia surgery. <clears throat> was it hernia? No, appendix. Or was it? Appendix? Yeah, it was a, a, one of those two. One of those. Yeah, yeah so, one of those like non-lethal, but like still but just pressing like you issues. Needed, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that postponed the fight for a number of months. 
So it was just the whole fiasco ahead of the fight, too. Yeah. And, but Walcott just, yeah. And what makes it even more and, interesting. And, well, and, that, and the main thing was, sorry to interrupt you, but the yeah. main thing was like to kind of address why uh, Nat Fleischer would have been seen as any sort of authority because, because it's like who, the, who the fucking ring. Maine is going to be like, you know, the boxing authority in Maine at that point. And the, and the answer is nobody. So you got Nat Fleischer ringside, and it's like, well, you better listen to Nat Fleischer. Sorry, go ahead. And you're right, though, because Fleischer, even though he was the founder and editor of Ring Magazine, he did play a big part in terms of um, importance in politics and boxing around that point. I yep. mean, he wasn't involved in the mob and was one of those people who, who pretended that it didn't even exist, stupidly, to the point where he even said that he would like put up a... Um, I think they put up like a fee, um, a reward if you can show that there was mob ties in boxing that they would pay you a fee at because you want to get cement shoes for getting paid 50 bucks, right? Idiots. <laughs> so anyways, but, but like I was going to mention, Fleischer did much more than just be like a magazine editor or the founder. Like he was judging fights overseas and doing things of that nature. He was, um, you know, he, he stepped his toes into a lot of part of boxing. So yeah, him being ringside and calling over Walcott saying, hey, no, he's been down or whatever. Like he was trying to explain to him that he had the count wrong and all that. Walcott would listen to him. So that wouldn't make sense, but like, he shouldn't have. I mean, he, his yeah. main priority was trying it to- It sounds absurd that that would hold any weight, but it did. Yeah. Like, you know, he was a person of stature, you know? Exactly, exactly. Much more than I would say any other person that took over the magazine after that. No one kind of, held the high regard like really put themselves out there like Fleischer I mean Burr Sugar did but he wasn't out there judging fights and doing all kinds of stuff that Fleischer was doing at that point you know what I mean so yeah that's how you have to look at it but yeah it was just it's crazy and then Walcott went on to become the New Jersey State Athletic Commissioner which is kind of interesting in itself too later on yeah he had a he had a lot of involvement in like New Jersey boxing for mm-hmm. for a long time after that so he was he was definitely part of uh, you know a lot of stuff developing. Thankfully, not refereeing fights though for crying out loud, the fucking guy. And that's like, the thing know. though too. Back then, is that like not something that really happens today or actually ever happens today? But it was more or less a slightly common occurrence back in the fifties and sixties and stuff, where you would have former champions who oh, didn't yeah. really have that much experience, but they would referee fights, sometimes high profile. Yeah, Joe Lewis me. soon after what I think was um, was the referee for uh, Corey Frazier. I think Corey Frazier too, or one or whatever. So Jack Dempsey refereed fights. He refereed yeah. a bunch of he refereed wrestling a lot too. Jack Dempsey was a popular re- uh, wrestling referee for a while, yeah, even yeah. though he didn't get much into wrestling. But like, uh, yeah, dude, that, that was a very common occurrence. Thankfully, after that, not so common. <laughs> yeah, <it laughs> Jersey Joe, you fucked it up for everybody, bro. Damn. I think by the 80s, you didn't really hear much more of it after that. No, not that I could think of anyway. Well, another uh, another a pretty good example, far more recent, um, but, you know, happened a, a little while back, but fresh enough on the brain that still kind of boils my blood a little bit. Uh, you had mentioned on Twitter that we were going to be doing this recording and a handful of people had already popped up and talked about a number of things. I think someone might have mentioned this, but it, even if they hadn't, it's a pretty good example, and that's Russell Mora in the Abner Mares versus Joseph Agbeko one fight, dude. It was just bad. I mean, I don't know that I've ever seen 
No, that's not true. I have. I've seen a lot of fights, so I've seen a lot of low blows. But I mean, you know, I've, I, I'm not entirely sure with something like that on the line that I've seen a referee so blatantly screw up and then be like just totally indignant about it in the ring and then later on be like, yeah, that was my bad. I mean, dude, the, I loved that shit. That Showtime Bantamweight tournament they had was so fun. It was, uh, you know, had some really good fighters, had some extremely memorable fights, dude. Yanni Perez, oh, yeah, basically, Yanni Perez basically killed his career in that fucking tournament, you know? I mean, like, that shit was, it, it was great. It was Victor Chinian, shit was great. And That then, was a nice little era for Showtime in the mid-2000s, the way they had that. That tournament was awesome for a handful of years dude they were like doing a tournament in like different weight classes they kind of did a semi official cruiserweight tournament a few years before that i mean it was it was a lot of fun dude and that so that was under the hirsch that was under hirschman right he was the one guy was, I think so, was yeah. behind all of that the that was when they coined the the fights not fighters thing because yes. hbo had taken in a whole bunch of fighters and their stable or whatever and exclusive fighters and they were like you know we're not going to do exclusive we're just going to sign fights which you know for fans it probably didn't work out that great for them to be honest but for fans it worked out great oh, um sure. but in any case this showtime bantamweight tournament had happened and we're on the last leg of this tournament it's the tournament final between Abner Morris and Joseph Agbeko. Joseph Agbeko is obviously on a tear and looking great. You know, he was in his prime. He didn't look as good as as he he never looked that good. I should say after this, um, why? Who who knows? But it was actually what also really sucks about this is that it was a really fun fight. It was a great fight, mm. uh, good back and forth action, but. Abner Mates, for whatever reason, just decided to start hitting low, dude. Like he just, it was like he couldn't help himself. And then Russell Mora was just letting it happen. And then finally, the worst low blow happens and puts Agbeko down. And Mora started counting. And you could hear the crowd and then like the commentators. And then also, when I looked on Twitter, because I was uh, following on Twitter when this shit happened, and it was like an eruption. People were like, no, what the fuck? It was crazy, dude. It was bad. That was bad, especially considering everything that was on the line. And it was, I mean, I haven't watched it in years, but I remember watching it back then. It was, it was awful, dude. Like, it wasn't just like a couple isolated incidents. We're talking, this was like, you you know, he was Eusebio Pedroza level of like fouling going on, bro. Like, this was like some bad shit. And it was blatant. Like, in any other, yeah. in any other ref who wasn't blind to it all or had some kind of agenda or favoritism, whatever it may be, clearly would have disqualified Mares or, you know, taken a couple of points off and like very, 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 very like, you know, sternly warned him and probably like veered him to stop doing that type of shit. But Moore clearly didn't do that. And, you know, it's to the point where Mares still gets kind of joked about it today whenever he talks about it. sometimes while he's on the air or other stuff because he knows it was bad. He knows he got a gift. Like that was absurd. Like Beko didn't retaliate he didn't do anything like he was just you know he was just a victimized in that fight bro it was it was just one of the worst everything was stacked against him when you have a referee that can't do anything for you and you have a dude that's just freely wailing away on you like that and there's nothing you can kind of do but just accept it and just kind of fight back dude that's that's odd you know you're not going to be able to come against yeah he was already uh you know kind of 
behind the eight ball or whatever. He was basically having to fight an uphill battle like Beko, mm-hmm. that is, because Abner Mates is a very good fighter. And he was already, you know, he's, I think he was down in the first or second round, you know, early in the fight, had to get up and fought his way back into the fight, looked as though he had pulled ahead and then just started getting wailed on with low blows, dude. Just shit, total shit. And it sucked because, uh, you know, like I said, so much on the line. And uh, Abner Mates was like kind of, he he didn't seem like he gave too much of a shit. And I mean, on, on one hand, it's like, why should he? You know, he was allowed to do it. Like, I guess if that's me, I probably wouldn't be up there apologizing necessarily either. But Russell Mora was even trying to kind of like make excuses for it and shit. And I guess my own, my only like personal touch I have on this shit is that that night I actually emailed, I found Russell Mora's email through the Nevada state athletic commission website because they <laughs> took it down the next day. Did you, and did I, you email him and gave and him, I, and with him a new one? I emailed him and I, <laughs> I don't know. I, I probably could find like a screenshot of it somewhere, but I emailed his ass and he got back to me. Uh-oh. He fucking responded and he basically said something to the effect of, I know I messed up. I apologize. You know, oh, we're wow. going to have to have a hearing about it or something. And I was like, holy shit. And I remember I posted the screenshot and it like, you know, nobody really saw it at the time. Early days of boxing Twitter, man, if anything, or whatever it was. Yeah. But even then, I remember being like, holy shit, that seems like a monumentally awful idea, even responding to some random fucking guy. But OK, whatever anyway yeah that was bad i mean it's it's better than um you ever noticed that whenever after a big fight at least in the past recently past few years after a major fight if like referee really messes up or a judge really messes up they suddenly have a twitter handle and they're apologizing saying that they know they screwed up on something and then a bunch <laughs> of people believe it <laughs> yeah dude it's, i do the people content grifting off of shit even just, I'm sorry, and I'm sorry to say this, but even off of what's going on in Ukraine, it's like, oh, dude, know, how crazy. many fucking posts do I need you to tell me that some fighter who's from Ukraine went back to Ukraine with some fake photo from 2016? Like, God damn it. All the political photos, you mean? You know, yeah, just a bunch of people like posting shit like. Anyway, just content grifting off of that type of shit is just weird to me. But whatever, bro, go off. But yeah, I see that shit all the time. You know, everybody, there's like a a Twitter account for everything. (laughs) It's fucking, it's sick. Hilarious sometimes, but sick. All right. What's another, what's another refereeing performance we're highly regretting here? I remember going back to the 1980s, the early 80s for this one. All right. So 80s were tumultuous already as it was. You know what I mean? There was uh, a lot going on. There were major fights, major controversies. And sometimes those controversies involved the refs. So I got to bring up this guy named Joey Curtis. Do you remember? Do you know which fight I'm referencing? I think so. Yeah. Garcia. Well, actually, I'm going to bring up a couple of them. One of them he's more known for than the other, actually, I would believe. But, but what's interesting about it is that they both go on the complete opposite ends of the spectrum of like, why, you know, that makes them a really, really bad reference. Just be like, what the hell's going on? So the first one we're going to bring up would be the first Michael Dokes, Mike Weaver fight. Which it, you know, it, it, when you watch it and I'm not, look, I wasn't even alive for it, but I mean, we've, 
discussed it over the years. I'm so obsessed with this error in the division, everything I've seen in the bajillion times. And the more you watch it, the more you just kind of head scratch yourself. And like, even after the excuses that he makes saying, well, the reason why, excuse me, the reason why he stopped the fight and everything, you know, X, Y, and Z because of it, it still doesn't make any sense. And when you know that Don King was involved with it and just the whole, the shenanigans involved and it just, it, it, there's so much stink that you just, you, you can't, you, you can't just not mention that. You know what I mean? Yeah, dude. It's well, and especially when you bring, when you enter Don King into the equation and especially if it's heavyweights in the 1980s, it's like, mm. And Michael Dokes at that point was one of Don King's pet, you know, pet projects. He loved Michael Dokes. He looked at Dokes like he was son. Dokes looked at him like he was dad. Dokes even mentioned that he styled his hair trying to look like Don King. And even though Larry Holmes was, you know, promoted by Don King at that point, undisputed heavyweight champion, undefeated, yada, yada, yada. Mike, you know, they had a very tumultuous relationship. You know, Larry was never Don King's favorite guy in the stable, even though he was his heavyweight champion. Mike, you know, a guy like Michael Dokes, who wasn't trying to give him any any type of fights about purses and this and that and all that, and more or less just kind of worship the guy, was perfect for Don. Plus, he was more flashy and kind of, you know, had the same style that Don was into a lifestyle. So they they clicked, right? And so when Michael Dokes was being groomed and he was coming up on the come up, like, dude was unbelievable. I mean, we I posted highlights of him on Twitter. You've seen it. Everybody's seen him. Like Dokes is more known for the guy that was like more or less when you talk about um the lost era of the heavyweight division he's almost a poster child of it or one of them because of the his cocaine exploits and all this his drugs and all this other stuff and just completely wasted potential dude was completely shot in his mid-20s and just done from there but we're not talking about that right now we're talking about the early michael dokes and early michael dokes really lived up to his nickname dynamite the dude was incredible to watch blazing hand speed for a heavyweight that just wasn't common like speed that you would see in a welterweight and middleweight he couldn't he had a heavyweight had incredible power himself just like really really fast combinations and he was tearing through the division you know he had a couple of like questionable fights here and there like slumps which kind of gave way to questions outside of how you know much he was really training. But whenever he had a rematch, like he fought a draw, for instance, with Ozzy Ocasio, which was kind of surprising. And Ocasio clearly out-hustled and probably should have got the decision. In a rematch, Dope blasted him out in the first round. So long story short, with Don King backing him, he built himself up to a high record, and he was getting ready to fight Mike Weaver, who was a WBA heavyweight champion. Mike Weaver, who we've discussed on previous shows, a guy that's, you know, a very, very hard luck dude came up the hard way, finally broke through and knocked out Mike um, and knocked out John Tate in a shocking upset for the heavyweight championship, WBA title. And even though he was supposed to be like, you know, just an inept guy that was going to lose the belt quickly, no, nah, he had it on for a, for a couple of defenses. He um, beat Quick Tellis, who was undefeated at the time, and he scored that crushing knockout of Harry Cotsia. And you know, he, he had momentum going there as being consensus, even though Larry Holmes was the man in the division, Weaver was up there. So this was a definitely um, a high profile fight. Here's the catch though, too, right? Even though this fight was, you know, very high profile, a lot going on. It was going to be on HBO. Just a couple of a week or two before that was the big um, death of Ray Mancini and Duke Kim. And that was still on the minds of everybody going on in the world, in boxing world, because that was obviously televised for the world to see. 
And with this fight so closely ahead and everything going through it, I mean, it, there was a lot going on. So what do you want to add to this? <laughs> no, nah, dude, I think that that's really good context because that's exactly, dude, that, that fight, Mancini, Kim, <clears throat> it influenced a lot of stuff. Um, it, did. <clears throat> it After that fight, the WBC, for instance, began um, instituting a mandatory EEC, you know, electroencephalogram, EEG, sorry, electroencephalogram, brain scans uh, before any championship fight. So that was a pretty big step um, toward fighter safety. I mean, obviously too late for Dooku Kim, unfortunately, but that fight you know, it, for a number of reasons, uh, it, it caused the networks to rethink their involvement in boxing, uh, all of the networks really, but particularly ABC and, um, you know, or NBC, sorry. And I think it was NBC. Well now, whatever, it doesn't matter. Point is whatever channel it was, was on, was really rethinking its, uh, involvement in boxing. And so it also led to, promoters and officials acting fearfully that they would be the ones that on their watch, something like that would happen again. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And not just for the ethical reasons, you know, obviously they didn't want somebody to die. I'm sure that they weren't evil or malicious people, but that probably wasn't at the forefront. They don't want to be blamed for the shit. <clears throat> they don't want to be under the gun financially because a fighter died or they were found negligent on one of their shows, understandably, but that also uh, affected some of the decisions made by the officials. And so uh, for the most part, I think it was good. It probably led to some fighters not getting uh, licensed and, and stuff like that. Some, some more stringent, stringent protocols for licensing, mm -hmm. but in this particular case and in the case of some other fights, um, especially fights that were thought of beforehand as like, it's going to be a really explosive fight or it's a fight where it's two really hard hitters or something like that. Then they have some big meeting. Well, I'll remember Mancini Kim can't be having that again. And by reports, that's exactly what happened for Joey Curtis uh, on, the, yep, on the morning of Dokes Weaver one was that they brought in Joey Curtis last minute and that that fight, Mancini Kim was discussed, you know, during the pre-fight meetings to figure everything out. And so that's not surprising. It's because it was effective. It was very powerful. Um, and it was one of the first times I think that, that you could see a fighter death, like live and in color, you know what I mean? And one of the first times that that had really happened, perhaps not in color, but one of the first times it had really happened in the U.S. Uh, really notably was obviously Emil Griffith versus Benny Perret, the third fight where, you know, Benny Perret wound up dying. And that was extremely shocking to the public and whatnot. And I think that this was almost like PTSD, like deja vu. It happened again. And this time an even clearer, you know, color and it just was right there. So it was it was scary. And I think that that at least inadvertently or subconsciously led to Joey Curtis jumping in and, you know, jumping the gun in this case. It, it was bad. So right off the jump, you know, you know, everybody knows Mike Weaver is a notoriously slow starter. 
and Michael Dokes is a very fast starter. And so right out, right when he went, Dokes came right out there with a two-fisted attack, and before Weaver knew what hit him, which was usually the case, Dokes came in with a blazing left hook and dropped Weaver right on his ass, you know. But again, Weaver is a slow starter, and he's a guy who has great recuperative power. Yeah, he's pretty resilient. Very. This isn't the first time he's been dropped. So he gets up, and very clear-eyed, knows what's going on. He just got caught cold. No big deal. But Dokes came in and started flurrying because that's what he does. Very, very fast hands, and he was Mm -hmm. hitting them. Weaver got caught with a couple of punches, but if you're still watching him too, he's clearly, he knows what's going on. He's not, he's with it. He's just kind of riding the wave out until he can, you know, regain his composure again. But out of nowhere, after a minute of this happening, only a few flurries in that Joey Curtis suddenly jumps in and waves it off. You know, Dokes jumps around, starts celebrating immediately. Weaver looks perplexed, like almost like he's not even sure what just happened, you know, you can tell he's still kind of like trying to gather what just, what the hell like what do you mean the fight stopped he wouldn't he didn't react inadvertently anything he's yeah. just clearly like in a shock everybody else around him though they were just kind of they started going crazy because they thought they got screwed and that's what the don king factor you see fairly often dude like when somebody gets stopped and then like moments later, you know, like they're, they like get stopped and like they're complaining and moments later they go like stumble, stumble, stumble. You know, yeah, they're yeah, like, yeah. whoa, and clearly their legs aren't under them and the stoppage was fine. It's like, they, they look clear headed, but nah. And in this, this was not a case like that though, dude, he looked pretty clear headed. Like he looked like he stopped it and he was like, what, what, what do you mean? Like you, what do you mean you stopping it? You know, like it was like, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, I know I got knocked down, but what the hell? And it it just looked wrong, dude. It looked bad. And I think pretty much everybody, well, everybody, obviously, except for Dokes, acknowledged it and recognized it pretty quickly. You know, it it was not, it was not good. Mm-hmm. No, nah, man, that, that was, it, it, it just looked, it just screamed of like, you know, corruption for everybody at that point. Whether it was or not, or Joey Curtis just freaked out and panicked, who, who knows? You know what I mean? But again, with Don King being involved, Dokes' background, the whole, everything about it, and Mike Weaver re- clearly, you know, being able to continue and everyone agreeing with that, like it, it made a bad situation. So right off the jump, everyone, you hear everyone screaming, bullshit, bullshit, like you would hear normally. And then that's, uh, that chant starts turning into Don King sucks, Don King sucks. And it, it kind of goes from there, you know, but it prompted the, um, the, WA, the WBA to make an re- immediate rematch, which they did have. And Weaver again kind of got screwed because it was a very good fight and it made for a cool backdrop because it kind of happened in like the early evening afternoon outside and it was filmed there and it was a good fight, but Weaver, you know, fought a draw with him. And after that, you already know the the way those two career paths went. But what I was going to mention though, was that the other end of the spectrum, and this is completely wild because even though he got kind of, you know, panicky and spooky and, jumped in and early, you know, made an early uh, stoppage for Dokes Weaver. I was going to bring up the Wilfredo Gomez-Derek Holmes fight from 1980. Yeah, and it's how, that's something that has also happened with Richard Steele, where like, obviously everybody complains about Chavez Taylor. And I mean, I, I suppose that's another one we could talk about, although it's been done to death. We probably don't need to talk about it too much. Regardless, Richard Steele also has other performances where he clearly did not jump the gun and probably should yeah. have jumped the gun a little sooner. So, I mean, you know, that's, that's why, you know, it's so wild that you could have 
a refereeing performances, you know, on like that opposite of the spectrum. Yeah, that opposite of the spectrum completely. And so uh, think about this, like Derek Holmes, Wilfredo Gomez, this for obviously Wilfredo Gomez at that point, one of the absolute baddest junior featherweight champions in history. Dude was just an absolute monster of his time, you know. And um, Derek Holmes was a Sugar Ray Leonard um he trained with Sugar Ray Leonard coming up, you know what I mean? A very, very talented boxer from Maryland. Obviously not as well known, but Leonard talked great about him in his um, autobiography. And if you were a fan back in the early 80s and, you know, the 70s and kind of followed the East Coast scene, especially in the Maryland scene or whatever, you definitely would have heard of Derek Holmes. And um, very, very good fighter. So the, the, the catch with this fight was that Holmes, and I read about this when he was profiled as, as a new face in Ring Magazine, knocked out Rofredo Gomez in the World Championships in the first round. So when they had a rematch, Gomez was a very, very prideful guy and, a, you know, guy who carried a chip on his shoulder and kind of arrogant, was, you know, coming to look out for some revenge. You know what I mean? And Holmes, very, you know, feeling confident himself, knowing that he knocked out Gomez in the first round when they fought as amateurs, thought he could take him out pretty quickly. And... um what turned out as kind of a firefight in the first round or so became an absolute just mugging, bro. Like a really, really bad beatdown that ended with with Holmes getting dropped eight times over five rounds. And it, and it wasn't just like knockdowns to the point where you'd be like, you know, quick flash knockdowns. Holmes was legitimately going down on himself by himself, trying to like getting beat. Know that he wants to stop. He was bad. Yeah. And Joey Curtis wouldn't stop it. Gomez was punking him every time you would hit him, you go over yeah. and start bagging him yep. down. It's 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 hard to watch. That's a yeah, I was gonna say that's another thing too, is that like Gomez the entire time was like doing that type of shit like Fernando Vargas did. You know, like where he'd yes. knock it down. Yeah, yeah, when he knocked down Ross Thompson and Thompson said he spat out, spat on him or something. But yes. like but yeah, like uh doing shit like that. And and on top of that, Wilfredo Gomez was a fighter who I mean no shit talk. I'm just saying, you know, <laughs> just talking facts. The fool was a hit you while you were down, elbow you, forearm mm-hmm. you type of fighter. He was just a hothead like Terry Norris. Absolutely. Yes. He wanted to hurt you. He wanted to fuck you up. And he fought like it too. And this that's exactly how he fought Derek Holmes. Derek Holmes was actually a really good amateur. Um, you know, DC, the DC area has, I don't, I couldn't talk about now, but historically it's had some really good fighters and really good amateurs, um, you know, Baltimore area, et cetera. It's that area and the surrounding areas has historically had some really good fighters and Derek Holmes was a really good amateur. Uh, but yeah, man, Wilfredo Gomez was not playing that night, dude. He just was thumping, thumping the shit out of him. That was bad. It was really bad, and there no referee would ever allow that to go on the way it did, especially when you get dropped four times. In Last, a like, two Ooh. knockdowns, it was almost like you could hear the crowd, like, hey, come yeah. on, dude. Like, what are you doing? You know, dude, it was bad. And then you find out afterwards his jaw was completely shattered. He, like, his, one of his teeth were broken. Like, Gomez beat the hell out of him. Yeah, and the fact that he kept going that long is like, Damn. Yeah, I mean, very, very brave, but like that ruined him. His career was ruined after that completely. He never recovered from that. And Joey Curtis is the one that let that go on. So it's wild to think 
when you go, like you mentioned, the opposite ends of the spectrum, when you stop a fight so soon and create that much controversy, and then a fight that's been more or less forgotten today when you think about it, considering it's been almost 42 years since it happened. And, but still, it, if you watch it, and it's on YouTube, so if you've never seen it, but you know, if you got the stomach for it, check it out. Um, you'll see what I mean. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, dude, it's pretty bad. So that's why I wanted to bring game. them up. I thought that was, you know, worthy. No, for sure. Like at the very least perplexing shit, you know, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Um, yeah, I would, I would say that's a pretty good, a pretty good, like, you know, opposite end of the spectrum example. I was going to bring one up that I actually didn't even think about until I just did a brief look. Cause I was like, all right, I just want to have some examples just in case, you know, cause I don't know how, how quickly we'd be able to go through them. Cause there's a lot, but uh, I actually had to look up his name too. Cause it's not just the referee from this fight, but he was a he was a big reason why this fight was so fucked up. And that's Danny Williams versus Konstantin Erich from 2009, 2008. Um, so I, and I also couldn't tell you if there's video of it up right now. I'll look in a moment to let everybody know, but this happened and at the time video had come out and it was being kind of passed around on message boards and stuff like that. And Danny Williams, who by this time, everybody knew as <clears throat> the guy who beat Mike Tyson, right? Like everyone was kind of like, what the hell? You know, he was being brought in for Mike Tyson to beat and he wound up turning the tables and beating Mike Tyson. And that was kind of his claim to fame at this point, even though on the British, uh, on the British level, he was a very well-known heavyweight and had a number of performances even by this time where he had kind of like, you know, pulled a fight by his bootstraps out of the fire or whatever you want to call it. And he was known as a guy who was very mid-level but could be exciting. Long story short, uh, this fight happened in Spain and the promoter of the fight is a guy named Ahmed Oner, who is, I believe, Turkish. And in his own right is like his own crazy ass story. Go look him up. But he had promoted this fight. Danny Williams winds up in the second round getting a point deducted for low blows. It's pretty dubious. You know, it doesn't really get much of a warning and then gets a point deducted for low blows. Third round, it's almost looks as if like the ring, he's having trouble like uh, with like water in the ring or something like that because he's losing his footing and he's slipping all around the ring and winds up slipping and getting a couple of like standing eight count type of things and then in the fourth round gets another standing eight count when he slips and it's like a clear slip and the ref just walks over and starts counting and shit anyway um, he gets deducted another point the following round in the fifth round and then in the sixth round is when it starts really fucking getting wild right because danny williams is obviously down several points by this time constantine erich who is like not a very good fighter but danny williams is just totally shitting the bed here and so constantine erich comes into the sixth round and starts just getting beaten down because danny williams out of nowhere is like oh you know i'm gonna start fighting and he starts kicking his ass and then with uh not even half of the round had gone down. It was like a minute, 40 seconds left. Ahmed owner runs over to the bell and rings the bell for the fucking to send to sound the end of the round. And I mean, 
that's obviously not the referee, but it would just kind of devolved into total fucking chaos at this point. And the following round, Danny Garcia, or I'm sorry, Danny Williams picks up where he left off and finally stops Constantine Erich. And like, there's some manner of fucking justice and karma here, but the refereeing performance starts out bad. And then the promoter running in to ring the bell just kind of puts the cherry on top. So now that I have gone through all of that, I'm going to have to look to see if this fight is even on fucking YouTube, because if it is, it's worth watching. Yeah, it sure is. Thank goodness. There we go. So go verify what I'm talking about, because it's fucking wild, bro. <laughs> Absolutely, man. I've never actually watched that, but I know I've read about that early on a little bit about it. I don't I didn't know too much. The, the one that everybody likes to bring up about Danny Williams, obviously, besides the Mike Tyson fight is the one that he incredibly you know when his dislocated shoulder ended up coming scoring a knockout yeah dude he had a couple of crazy battles with a, a fellow um british kind of like journeyman ish level dude named michael sprott who yeah. was uh you know th that was i will admit dude uh i'm not gonna say i'm like a british heavyweight fucking expert or anything like that but that era like late 90s to mid 2000s late 2000s was a pretty fun era if not super high level fun era for british heavyweight boxing yeah yeah absolutely i, I couldn't say the same for myself either so yeah but that's good shit so it's good to know that it is that it is indeed thank goodness on uh it is indeed thank goodness on youtube so go check that shit out but that being said, um, dude, I have, I literally, and I'm not kidding here. I'm not lying. I have a list, like an absolute list of shit that Lawrence Cole has done. So, I mean, I don't know if that guy needs his own episode. I mean, he really might. I'm not even kidding. Just look going down. Those I mean, lists, absolutely, it's, man. We've, it's amazing. we've raised him so many times on the show before. And it, it, yeah, he's worthy of his own induction at this point. <laughs> Dude, there's it's this fight has actually unfortunately been taken down from YouTube since I wrote this shit because I wrote it several years ago. But fucking Dominic Carter versus Rocky Gannon that should happen yes. on, on USA. Wow, that's a good one, man. Because yeah. you know what? I want to say I have that on VHS. My dad recorded at one point. I'm gonna have to, next time it's, I go, it's from USA. Yeah. It's, yeah, they took it down off of YouTube. It was on YouTube when I wrote when I wrote this shit, but. This was actually the first like awful Rocky performance. Cannon, man. That was the man. That was actually Lawrence Cole. That's what I'm saying. Is that was the first awful performance by Lawrence Cole, bro? So this shit happened in December of 1996. But it was, I mean, he could have had a poor performance before that, but it was only his 31st fight that he had refereed, which I mean, like usually referees ref like a lot more fights than that before making it to kind of like a TV main event fucking, you know, I mean, whatever we already know why, but I'm just saying, you know, it, it's possible, I suppose, for that to happen. That being said, um, you know, like moments into the fight left hook floors, Carter, you know, again, in floors, Carter, and then, um, let's see, there's knockdowns, Basically, Cole starts, you know, issuing knockdowns and like basically going to the timekeeper to get uh, answers about what's going on. Cole stops the action, deducts a point from Gannon for hitting a downed opponent. Uh, just over a minute remaining in round one, he breaks a clinch, deducts a point from Carter, doesn't explain why. And then basically just, you know, everything resorts to fucking chaos, basically. And uh, 
without issuing a count, Cole steps in and stops the fight despite Gannon's protests after he's been, you know, like basically dinged up a little bit. And that was 1996. That's kind of where it all began. And like I said, the fight's been taken off of YouTube, but it's a terrible, terrible performance from Lawrence Cole. And the guy's still refereeing, dude. Still refereeing 26 years later. Terrible stuff, man. I mean, when you have influence with the commission, with your family and all the other stuff, can you really go away? And not only that, too, how many new new people are they really trying to train up out there when they still have the respect, when they still have the veterans they can keep on using? It seems like they do that in Nevada and everywhere else, too. Wow, we still got these old judges. Let's just keep on using that. Well, I guess, you know, that's its that's its own conversation. But I, I would be curious because Texas is without a doubt one of the more busy yeah. combat sports states, especially for boxing. And if they can't get fucking new blood, if they can't get people, you know, you got Lawrence Cole as the golden standard of their refs. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's, that is not a good sign for the rest of the state commissions if they're having trouble, but who knows? You got a guy that you, you, we have to bring this one up too, just because we're talking about him for a minute. I mean, when Juan Manuel Marquez, what was it? When he had that gash on his eye fighting um, him, John, um, yep. Jaka, is that his yeah. last name? Haka, Jaka, whatever. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. And then like he goes, Oh, hey, hey, by the way, you're winning the fight. All right. On the judge's scorecards. <laughs> yeah, he you covers know, so it you up. Get out, you can. Yeah. He covers up the his lapel microphone, <laughs> his fucking, you know, his pocket microphone. And he goes, Hey, come here, Wani. Yeah. <laughs> you fucking dick. What are you talking about? Like they're you know, buddies. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're winning the fight, by the way. You know? <laughs> there's, there's actually a really good one. I mean, it wasn't good for Terrence Lewis but it was good for Michael Moore. That shit was in 2001. Uh, Michael Moore basically um, with, so Michael Moore, when he's kind of on his comeback in 2001, Terrence Lewis, who's, you know, a noted, a noted, uh, you know, journeyman, heavyweight level, you know, guy. He was a fun guy. Yeah. You know what? He had promise early on as a prospect. He was featured as such, Mm -hmm. you know, tough Philadelphia guy. He had good power, but then, it was quickly realized that he had absolutely no chin whatsoever. Yeah. So. And, and kind of like a sparring partner kind of mentality type yes. of thing. Yeah. yeah and yeah. this shit was on ESPN too. And more right toward the end of round two. I mean, like he drills the shit out, out of Terrence Lewis as his back is turned and he's draped over the ropes. Like he's draped over the ropes and his back is turned and more drills his ass and knocks him cold. <laughs> And Cole just doesn't even like, he doesn't even blink. He's just like, okay, that's it. Good fight. Knocked him out. Cool. Good job. I mean, wowzers, bro. I, I'm not kidding. I have a literal fucking list of this fool's exploits. Leha Ward, uh, Vernon Forrest, Shane Mosley, Pacquiao Barrera one, Marquez Haka, Chris John, Rocky Juarez, Juan Diaz, Malinaji one, Andre Durrell, Arthur Abraham, Pacquiao Margarito, Maidana Broner, Orlando Salido, Lomachenko, Francisco Vargas, Will Tomlins. I mean, bro, the list literally goes like, on. Like, like, what, like I said before, like I always love to quote this song. What do the whispers say? And the beat goes on. La da 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 dee. That shit is awful. Like, bro. He's terrible. He, he's, look, he's man, terrib- you, got, you got Lawrence Cole in Texas and you got Arthur McCanty Jr. in New York. You know what I mean? T- choose your poison. Yeah, dude. Choose your fighter. <laughs> Somebody's going to get somebody killed. Yeah. Choose them. <laughs> So I'm I'm not gonna I'm not even gonna try to like go in on a Mercanti rant either to try to you know to to bring up the East Coast because we already we already know what 
all the things he's done. Ruddick Dokes. Yeah. You were telling, yeah. uh, telling, was it Yuri Foreman to suck it up, champ, your champion. I'm, you know, or, or just letting Michael Dokes get his head knocked into the nosebleed section of Madison Square Garden or the, the, the list goes on and on and on of what he's done. You know what I mean? This, but yeah, Mercanti sucks. But yeah. <laughs> um, one, all right. Here's one for you. Do you remember the Juan Martin Koji Eder Gonzalez? Yes. Their first fight. I don't I don't know that referee's name, but it was Isadro inter- Garcia. Excuse me, not Garcia. Is Rodriguez. An extremely memorably bad referee, but like criminal, corrupt, and that, awful. I, well, Lee Groves, I wish he'd be on the show actually to mention this, but he I think he's gone on the record or said a few times the saying that that was one of the most corrupt. It is. It's one of the most blatant forms Terrible. of corruption you can literally see in plain sight. Like, not even pro wrestling sometimes gets this gets this wild. With Like, it is. It was something you would clearly see out of the Bobby Heenan playbook or some shit. You know what I mean? Like, it, it was that type of level of bad. Yeah. Like, you know, like, they're they're going in for a clinch, and the referee's like, you know, like, like smacking to push yeah, them off. Like, and shit. like that type fuck? of thing, like, there, but no, no, man, it, it was incredible. So, I, I, it was, um, I want to say the second or third round, you know, Edward Gonzalez, who Koji was getting the better of him early on, but he walked into an absolute monstrous punch, like a monster punch. Yeah, it is. And, and Koji, just go yeah, to, to give a little back context, Koji was a long reigning junior welterweight champion from that started reigning in the in the late 80s. And at this point, by 1993, he was one of those guys that, you know, he wasn't featured on American television, but he was but a long huge celebrity in Italy. Yes, huge in, in Argentina and everything. Yeah, he, he was a big dude. Very, very well known. So Argentine boxing, too, especially as you talk about the 80s and 90s, they've always had wild crowds. You, you remember Luis? Uh, who was it? Luis Lizarraga or Lizarraga? You know, where the, yeah, where yeah. the riots took mm-hmm. place, that guy. So, and other stuff like that, those type of situations. Like, it's always been kind of a, a hostile territory to go travel over to fight. But Koji really, really, really had partial treatment every time he fought. It was, it was tough to beat him. And Gonzalez had him completely knocked out. Any other, any other place this fight would have taken place, Koji would have been stopped completely. Like he was out. It was almost like exaggerated how he got dropped in this fight. And to his credit, he kind of beats the count. You know what I mean? But he's done. And the referee, like all of a sudden, Koji's handlers like grab him up and pull him up and like do the, you know, try to like like hold him up. And Isidro Garcia like stops it and gives him time. Like I'm not even giving this justice to really explain it the way it is, but like. It is the most surreal thing you'll ever see. They've clearly just like after Koji is knocked out, they like in the middle of the round, they stop it and they just give him time to continue. So, and they like wash him down and they don't give an explanation that it was anything. No, it's more or less. They're just like, you know what? We got to give him time because he just got hurt. Like it's crazy. And, you know, Gonzalez thought he originally won the fight. Anybody else would have thought they won the fight the way they ended up. But no, they were just like, Yeah, dude. I can't even I can't even finish my sentence, bro. This shit's crazy. Like still talking about it. <laughs> yeah, he's the the way that he was treated was like uh um like they were trying so badly to protect the guy. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. That wasn't in the script for him to lose. You know what I mean? He was it was supposed to be a routine title defense. And Gonzalez dropped him hard. Koji was out on his feet. He he gets up. 
but he's his brain is on another planet, man. It might have been, you know, might as well have been on Mars. And Gonzalez comes in, lands a few more punches on him. Koji falls into the corner. Koji's handlers just jump up to try to stop it, which should have been an automatic disqualification on itself. And they they kind of like yoke him up, grab him up. Gonzalez gets a few more hits on him, like unprotected, which certainly didn't help Koji's brain. <laughs> and everybody just kind of jumps in at that point and like a, a mass confusion arises. Gonzalez thinks he won the fight, rightfully so. And then everybody is just kind of like, no, 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 no. And then you realize you're like, wait, what? No, they're stopping and they're holding up and they're giving Koji time. Why? Like, what are they doing here? It was insanity. Yeah, dude. I, I don't know. All I can tell you is that, uh, like I said, he was, he was extremely popular because he made a few defenses in Italy and I mean, I talk about this a little bit in, I guess you can, I guess I'll go ahead and write over here, my book right here. <laughs> you know, I, I talk about the the Italy-Argentina connection that so many Argentinians are, Argentines, however you want to express that, are from, or their families are from Italy. They have Italian roots. And uh, that was something that Oscar Bonavena had actually talked about going and fighting in Italy. And I think that he fought in Italy once or twice. But point is, uh, Juan uh, Koji was a huge star in Italy when he had gone back there to fight. And for whatever reason, I don't know why I, maybe it's that, but I connect that in my brain with like, uh, what was his, um, Vincenzo Cantatore, um, Michele Picarillo for whatever reason, dude. And I'm not trying to stereotype because I know that like boxing's not massive in Italy. Like that's not necessarily their sport, but every single time they've gotten a big fighter, they like, they want to protect those dudes. They really want to protect them so badly. Uh, Vincenzo Candatore was like notorious for looking for referee help and even tried to do it against Wayne Braithwaite and wound up getting fucking blasted for it too. I don't know if you remember that. Like he's like looking um, away. Did you mention Vincenzo Nardiello? He was another one of the super middleweight from that, from that era too, who was notorious every time he got hit really hard or anything to, you know, cry wolf and hold yeah, on. I don't know what the, I, yeah. I'm not trying to like stereotype, but I mean, check you're not your wrong voice. though, bro. I mean, this was like what this is what was written about back then. I read the same it, things. <laughs> it, I, we've seen it for our own eyes. So it's not like we're making it up, but you know, it's, it's yeah. I don't know why. So for whatever reason, I think it's just that, awful refereeing performance and the way that Koji gets protected is just like for me it's just like they just in my brain equation they no, it was awful man this was literally something you would see in wrestling where the referee turns heel and was going to become totally a manager dude. or something like that but like you know Isidro Rodriguez if this was wrestling the way he screwed him over what it became part of Koji's entourage after that and a guy that you know and a little weasel that people would have been chasing to beat up while they're trying to get through you know what I mean That's yeah you've been happened. hiding under the ring and like like feeding people shit to hit him yeah with, yeah know? like doing one of those type of guys like that's exactly what would have happened that's how blatantly bad this was yeah imagine if this fight happened during the twitter era when you can like you know everybody has a link and you can watch this live the whole Twitter boxing would have absolutely imploded watching this imploded and probably would have got more and probably would have got a better deal than what poor Edward Gonzalez ended up getting out of this. I mean, he did get an immediate rematch in America on Las Vegas and, but he ended up getting stopped and it was a legitimate stoppage. I mean, it was a fun fight for a while last, but you know, Koji for all of his faults and for all of his controversies, everything was a fun fighter to watch. So. Yeah. Not the, 
not the strongest fighter, but a but definitely a, no. a fun fighter. But that wasn't fight. even his worst. That wasn't even his his last controversy. I'm not, I'm not going to veer off too quick, but like it's on YouTube, and you know, one our favorite account that we're always pushing videos off of each other on Jay Seklau. Yeah, he posted it recently. Um, the rematch between Koji Koji and Frankie Randall. That and that's another one for controversy. Koji gets hit with a with a headbutt. I mean, it was decent, but not one that should have done the damage it clearly did to him. So Koji pulls a Luis Santana, you know, falls out. Yeah, he's laying there. He won't move. He's unconscious. Mass confusion. Ferdy Pacheco is going back and forth on whether he's being real or fake because he has no idea. Um, everybody else doesn't know what the hell is going on. And then the most surreal scene you will ever see in your life, Koji's being stretched out with an oxygen mask on. And then you see Koji's kid and Koji's manager and the rest of his entourage celebrating in the ring that he's champion again, running around while the dude's being structured out. Yeah, dude, that's, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I, there aren't many things in the ring that get me, but dudes faking fouls is just like, that's yeah. I'm As never going to root for that person ever. No, I'm, nor should you, but it, the, the, to make it even more so you like, guys, if you really want to like show that you're trying to like make this a real thing, why don't you act like you're showing your concern for you? Yeah, dad. look distraught. Something. Oh, <laughs> yeah, look distraught instead of running around something. the ring celebrating and going crazy while the guy's being stretched out with an oxygen mask. Yeah, on. like take take the belt, but be like, oh, okay, I guess I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah, nah. Come on. Kid was literally up there holding the strap up, being held up on the shoulders, and everyone is running around celebrating. Terrible. Mad. Terrible. Terrible stuff. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know what it is about uh, Mr. Koji, but he had a couple of those controversies where just act a little. But that funny. had to be brought up, man. That was that was a big one. That's well, a good one. He's he's a good one. Uh, now I'll, I'll take it back to 1904 with this one. We got a couple of other older ones that we could definitely talk about, but I'll talk about sure. I'll talk about 1904 and the welterweight title. You know, one of one of the the shortest, well, probably the shoulder, shortest welterweight title reign on record. And you know Dixie Kid, the welterweight champion oh, man. slash non welterweight champion, yeah, uh, pretty wild stuff, dude. You know, so you had a fight between Joe Walcott, the original Joe Walcott, Barbados Joe Walcott, he's often referred to, um, and Dixie Kid, and this happened in Woodward's Pavilion in San Francisco, which in the early 1900s was one of the main pavilions or main fight venues in san francisco and i'll just be brief about it just so people like can understand because by this time in the early 1900s fighting was far more established professional fighting or if not professional fighting you know fighting that was staged for money which was not necessarily full-on professional fighting by that point was far more developed on the east coast than it was on the west coast and on the west coast it was still uh fighting banning in some in some places and in northern california it was one of the few places where like nobody was really going to bother you if you if you you know held a professional prize fight and woodward's pavilion was one of the places where you would be holding it and so in any case uh joe walcott barbados joe walcott takes the welterweight title he's a very well-known fighter by this point um hard-hitting guy a guy who's known for handling much bigger fighters and also a guy who's had to come up the hard way and is just, you know, basically a monster in the ring. Very hard puncher, very skilled fighter. And 
they're scheduled for 20 rounds against Dixie Kid, and in the 20th round, pretty much out of nowhere, the referee, a guy named Dick Sullivan, just you know, abruptly uh, 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 declares that Joe Walcott has fouled Dixie Kid, and Dixie Kid is now the welterweight champion. And so that's like now you think about somebody winning the title on a foul, and it's like, yeah, you know, that's not really that. That could happen. You know, it's it's not common, but it happens. You know, it's not rare. At this point, that shit was super fucking rare. Like fights just didn't like championships did not get turned over or handed over on a foul because that was specifically what some of these rules and stuff were written to avoid because they like the no contests and shit like that. That's why no contests were handed out the way that they were and no decisions. Like if, if referee felt that the two fighters were not putting up a good enough effort, he'd say, fuck this, you guys aren't getting paid and declare it a no contest. I mean, now you have, that obviously couldn't happen, but back then that was a fairly common occurrence. And so in the 20th round of a 20 round fight, this referee, Dick Sullivan, just walks over to Dixie kid and raises his hand and the crowd's like, what are you talking about? What the fuck are you talking about? Everybody goes their separate ways, except for Dick Sullivan is basically, you know, shunned from town, you know, does not have a good, good time during this because you have to think about this. And I'm sorry for the long explainer, but just to kind of set the stage, um, these fighters are getting paid based off of what people are betting ringside. We're not talking about guaranteed purses in 1904, and especially for two black fighters. We're talking about fighters who are getting paid based off of what the betting is like, you know, going around ringside, because people aren't going to be betting across town for a fight that's happening over here. You know, this is only just, you know, people in attendance. And so most of the time, their purses are going to be based in some part on this. And in any case, uh, that means the money gets screwed up. People who are putting bets on the fight get screwed up. You know, you could still bet throughout the fight in some places, like going even going into the final round, you could still place bets on who, who you thought was going to win, et cetera, et cetera. All of those people got their money fucked up by this referee who walked over out of nowhere and raised the dude's hand. And so when you think about it in that way, yeah, people are pissed. People are like, are you fucking shitting me, bro? Like, this is where the money's made. You know, like people died from much less back then. (laughs) Exactly. So Dick Sullivan is, you know, if you see the the photos from the fight, they're on BoxRec and they're probably on other places as well. Dude looks pretty schleppy. He's just in a fucking, you know, this fool looks like he rolled out of the mining camp. He does not look like he's in any. And if you see other, if you see other uh, fights from around this time, motherfuckers wearing like top hats and like suits and shit. You know, he looked like they just dragged him out of the fucking cot from around the corner. So yeah, I mean, it doesn't really seem like that far fetched that this dude was up to no good. Turns out they found out uh, sometime later. I think it was uh, maybe a day or two later. They found out that Dick Sullivan, somehow they found out that he had bet on the fight and that he had bet on Dixie Kid. I mean, if the guy had just done this in like round 14 instead of at the last minute in round 20, like a real fucking idiot, maybe he'd gotten away with it. But he didn't. He did it in the most obvious way he possibly could. So he got caught. He got fucked up. Oh, man. You know what I love too is that um the 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 video the only video I know of of um Barbados Joe Walcott uh that's been posted up on YouTube of him you know as a janitor and he's kind of oh like, yeah 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 that's a, yeah that's good 
it's so good man you know and i would walcott's one of those guys that i wish there was footage of even if it would be as grainy as shit but just like because the way he's described the way everyone you know they talk about his style you read accounts from back then he seems like a type of style that definitely would have translated well in other eras you know so aggressive you know good power yeah like that's that's timeless you know what i mean that's a skill that's timeless and like the way he just seems so happy to like to talk in that thing too like when he's being videotaped oh hello he's like excited i all do it. yeah he's really hyped you know when he's going through and he was like i still wish i was making that money fighting with the rest of the boys like they're almost like all of his friends he's talking about like instead of them just beating the hell out of each other like they're all just buddies you know in the same profession i mean <laughs> in the way they were on those Rolls royces but yeah dudes all in the same company who just retired you know Mm-hmm. Kind of a, it's almost like how we, yeah, it's a good video. I, I know that's on YouTube. It and is, I think it is. Colorized and, it's it's it and, and it's been colorized, which is pretty cool to see. Um, yeah, fools are getting skilled with this colorization, and you know, uh, our, I love our, it. Dude, I, I'm our buddy Smooth Legends is hooking it up with some incredible, you know, cleaned up footage of fights that, yeah. that are like 100, 110 years old that are incredible. It's good, shit. dude. We just talked about the um the Dempsey Furpo footage that he's posted up and that's the cleanest I've ever seen it. You know, it, yeah, definitely do. It's awesome to watch the foot, the footage he put up of Fitzsimmons Corbett where I can actually see punches being landed instead of it kind of being like a weird, like pong looking glitch. Um, it's cool. So yeah, for sure. But let's hop a decade, a decade ahead from what you just mentioned to uh to bring up one of the more controversial fights during that time period with a very controversial referee who we found out was buddies with uh the lightweight champion we're about to mention so we're talking about referee jack welsh and ad walgas against mexican joe rivers 1912 yeah it's it's one of the more classic fight like series of fight photographs and then of course we found out years later there was some video of it thank goodness fuck but even the, the and that's, video again we've discussed man how is there footage of that yet we can't find footage of harry Greber yeah, how is that guys? makes no sense that makes no sense but that's what makes me even more like fascinated by it and wants me to make learn like to, to learn more somebody's got it yeah, yeah bullshit somebody's got something they're just holding out bastards but, but yeah dude it's and in that photo that you're talking about with rivers on the canvas looking up with this sad like confused look on his face like what's going on and Walgas being dragged away by referee Welsh while he's still counting out rivers it's it's mind-boggling and it's like dude I mean <laughs> yeah so you got so you got Mexican Joe Rivers who by the way wasn't even Mexican I don't think so the good old racist early 20th century but uh nonetheless you know you have Mexican Joe Rivers who had come up and was basically discovered on accident got into boxing on accident because somebody needed a guy to fight you know i mean how many stories do we have like that tons and tons but he got into got into fighting just you know on a whim basically and ad wolgast uh was an absolute animal just a brutal maniac uh in the ring and an incredible lightweight champion during an era where just jammed full of incredible lightweights uh, not only because of their skill and the depth and whatnot, but it was a hard time. Motherfuckers were tough. Dude, these were just 40, tough, tough guys, 45 man. round fights. You know, yeah, I mean, if it was a 15 or 20 round fight, it was a shorter fight. 
So, I mean, it's you, when you put that in the context so often too, yeah, it's, it's just not, it's no wonder that that era, like right around the thirties, forties, fifties, when those fighters were getting old, if they had survived that that's no wonder why those fighters had some of the worst times in terms of like, you know, their later years oh my and God, having the stories that came out about Walgas ba- um, battling Nelson and others. I mean, just read Trish Dixon's book. Cause he kind of, he alludes to a lot of those guys. I mean, he mentions Nelson and Walgas and others, but like there was a lot of other fighters from that era who weren't publicized too much that definitely suffered the same fate as, as those they, they all of them more or less by that time, if yeah, they survived dude. that long. The combination of tiny, tiny gloves and fucking going dozens of rounds. And the activity. And, and and just, yeah. It was crazy. just incredible, dude. I mean, and it's no wonder what that would do to a body, but Ad Wolgast during this era, nonetheless excelled, you know, it was beating the crap out of most of the other better lightweights for the most part and wind up winds up getting matched with uh mexican joe rivers and they know that this is going to be an explosive contest going into this fight you know like everybody knew because mexican joe rivers was a hard charging hard hitting dude and ad Wolgast, that was the only way he fought that was <laughs> that was the absolute only way he fought was going forward and tearing shit up so they knew that this was going to be a good fight going in you know Oh, absolutely. And exactly like it was, it was kind of tooth and nail from the, from the get-go. Um, what Rivers actually looked like I've seen from all accounts was getting the better of it. And, it, you know, it was a really, really tough fight. Walgas, uh, Rivers was uh, slightly ahead for this cleaner punch, but Walgas, like you said, it was aggression, was coming at him. But then everything kind of culminated around round 13. And this was, you know, the moment that brings the controversy in there. So there's, di- there's different accounts. You know, the one that's more prevalent with everybody is that with most with most um, accounts is that Walgast um, Rivers landed a punch like a right hand. I think it was that knocked Walgast clean out simultaneously as Rivers landed a knockout punch. Walgast landed a low blow. Excuse me. Others have said that he landed a punch that was a legal punch too that knocked Rivers out. But a lot of people say it was a low blow. And if you watch the way liver um, livers, if you watch the way Rivers crouches and grabs himself and you know goes down he's kind of you know he's holding his groin so it looks definitely looks like it would be a low blow but regardless Walgas gets hit with a shot rivers gets hit at the same time and they both go down Walgas on top of rivers and Walgas is out and referee jack welsh who was known later on as a friend of Walgas and had refereed previous fights during the you know Walgas fights and others he was a very very popular referee during that time period um came over and the first thing he did was as we mentioned he grabs Walgas, pulls him up he starts counting simultaneously like you would see in rocky two but then out of nowhere he grabs Walgas and he keeps on counting and then that's when the photo comes up you said river's kind of looking up going wait what and five six seven blah 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 and then he pulls him up and then he raises the hand and says Walgas is the winner and he gets the hell out of dodge before anyone realizes really just what happened and they start rioting I actually wrote about this a number of years ago. And I mean, I wrote like a pretty long article about it. I'm sure if you, and you should, it, because it's pretty awesome. 
and it's it's should look it up just because it's it gives a lot of backstory as far as like the fighter's backstory but i'll read a couple quotes because i included quotes from the original newspaper articles just to give you give people an idea uh this was owen r bird from the los angeles times the pace had been ferocious from the opening bell and toward the end of the 13th the fury was redoubled then this thing happened both fighters suddenly lay writhing on the floor together, almost in a heap. The referee seemed to be trying to count out Rivers and help add Walgast to his feet in a confused sort of way. Rivers had apparently been fouled, but after a moment's hesitation, the referee began to count over him. It took Jack Welch eight seconds to count out Rivers after he had been fouled and render a decision, besides helping the fallen champion to his feet. The gong rang as he finished the downward stroke of the five count. As for the fight, there never was a better one in the Vernon area. And then a uh, trainer at the Los Angeles Athletic Club, DeWitt Van Court, said to the LA Times, I saw Wolgast hit Rivers a hard left hand in the groin as plain as I ever saw anything. I believe Rivers had hit him square in the stomach and knocked his wind out. I also believe Rivers was entitled to a decision on a foul. So, I mean, depending, I suppose, on... on uh, who you believe you know basically it, that's that's how it went but the point is this fight is often cited as one of the very few double knockout fights but i guess it didn't really go quite that way and it should have been given to mexican joe rivers but it goes down in history as one of the yeah. more infamous fights and you know the first time i read about this fight was in a, a ring magazine and 96 it was because Mike Tyson was on the cover as he was on most of those covers back then. But they were talking about the different controversies in boxing history and they were given each, they were given like two sides of the story. They would give you one side of like, yes, it was fixed. And the other side it was, no, it wasn't fixed. You know what I mean? But that was the first one that they featured. And that was the first photo that they featured of Rivers looking up and they were talking the whole story about it. It's a great photo. Oh, it's a, it's an amazing photo. I mean, if I had a real an original of it, I would frame that shit up and have it hanging as you know a prominent piece of my place. Yeah, that's a great um, photo. Another one though that he did referee, and I'm not gonna mention it, but I mean it's just it's interesting to mention is that because he was boys with Walgast, they were known to be like kind of chummy, if not like best friends. But I think he refereed the fight against Owen Moran as well, right? That's another great great photo well yeah because moran oh my god man you know who was a very 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 tough guy who knocked out battling nelson himself which is yeah, a great fighter in his own right yeah. great fighter in his own right but Walgas, like you said the rampaging maniac that he was just kind of broke him and you see moran laying there with his mouth agape just open and his eyes almost like exploding out of his head while he's like holding his stomach and Walgas, you know yeah, Locked looking over him like he's like, get the fuck up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Shit's a, yeah. Wolgast was like a, a lightweight version of Ketchel or something, you know, just a little dude. maniac. Maniac. Another style that would like, even though he would probably get pieced up by the best guys today, but just in terms of pure aggression, everything, if Mayorga was successful, a dude like Wolgast definitely would have been too, in his own way. If he could oh, handle, yeah. you know, not foul. Like. <laughs> Yeah, that would be the that would be the challenge is you know yeah, kind of yeah. reining him in just a little bit. Um, there's another really good old timey one, but I'll leave that to you. I was gonna just say because this opens up just a an easy conversation, especially because he's far more recent. I'm just gonna throw him out there in general because there's like 
It's like a whole other, they're like a fucking smorgasbord that you can, he's, he's no Lawrence Cole, but he's not that far from him. That's Joe Cortez. How this guy, oh, yeah, fair but firm. <laughs> how this guy, he's one of those figures in boxing where, you know, I totally understand why some people get a shitload of respect. I'm like, oh yeah, because he did this, he did this, 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 or she did this. But then there are other times when people get like a shitload of respect and they're like, you know, people are like, oh, that is the best in the business. And I'm like, really? And he's one of those reallys for me because I swear every time, like almost every single major fight he had, there was some major lapse. It might not have been something catastrophic, but it was like he was he he had this style where he was always talking to the fighters, which to me is just a massive annoyance. Like the fighters don't want to hear you. TV doesn't want to hear you. And we don't like that's also a distraction to the fighter. You come on with his mumbling and shit, you know, <laughs> come on, you guys. Like he, he did become like he was he was definitely one of those guys that became like he needed to be a star more so than the whole fight. Itself. Yeah. Yeah. And he like you know uh, just an easy example, dude, was Mayweather Ortiz. As hilarious. As All right, I, I knew he was the referee for that. I wasn't gonna yeah. say I wasn't completely sure, but he was okay. Yeah, I mean, and don't get me wrong, dude, because the result was hilarious. It was deserved, <laughs> especially Victor when Ortiz. Emmanuel Stewart's. Ah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, come <laughs> on now. Yeah, the him and his fucking. Yeah, dude, it was it, it was hilarious, and the entire thing as like a spectacle was great, but as a refereeing performance laughable dude wasn't even looking there's photos in 4k and there's his face too he was just kind of like oh shit huh (laughs) yeah in 4k of that fool literally just being surprised by what's going on in the ring but i mean but that was literally him almost every single time and so that's that's why i think he's worth bringing up is because he's just he also had one i mean look i don't I've never been one to stay for the Hall of Fame speeches on a Sunday, even though that's like the main reason why people, I guess some people go. But by Sunday, I'm kind of shot, man. I've, I've been there. He since had a rambling ass speech. I remember it. I yes. remember it. <laughs> the yeah, one so year. It's, it's, it's raining. We're over there in New York and there's the amateur <laughs> gold gloves. I didn't get able to the fight. Yeah, yeah man. It was Literally like, the nobody one year. Nobody wants to hear this, bro. The one year I had to stay that I that I actually stood for the speeches because my parents didn't take me back. I got a ride back, and we still we stood for it. And I had to listen to Joe Cortez, and bro, that was brutal, man. I ain't gonna front. That took. (laughs) He just kept on going on and on and on. Then he mentioned that he was fair and firm like three different times, and he shouted out the rest of his like the rest of the Vega, um, because all the other referees from you know the. The Nevada area came out and he kept on like chanting them all like they was his children and it was just like enough is enough bro just yeah you know he exp- he he made me realize why I don't stay for the speeches like I I appreciate everything they do and I'm glad they do it but I cannot sit there for hours and listen to people just make you know from one speech to another and that goes for this coming year you know how many speeches are gonna be going on I hope they put a time limit on that shit because I got yeah you dude, know. that's gonna be rough yeah I mean like I'm not trying to be mean. I honestly exactly, but no, no, it's their day in the sun, and they deserve every. I'm moment. not a Joe Cortez just, fan. For me, I I can't, I I just can't sit there and you know listen. It's, yeah, yeah, I'm not a Joe Cortez fan, dude. So yeah, for me, that's that's just a good. Yeah, I'll just throw that out there. But but there's still a really good old timey one to be had. Which one would that be? 
We've got uh, Bob Fitzsimmons versus Jack Sharkey. Oh, jeez, man. Easiest one, the one they actually tweeted about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude. I swear. Wyatt Earp, buddy. From the grave. From the grave. You know, him and I his mean, buddy Bat Masterson. Oh, dude. Yeah, there was there was some incredibly poor, like really bad referees, and that was right around the era, like in the late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds, was like when they, I think, they had gotten the idea that they could bring celebrities or, you know, known people in to referee or whatever, and not just referees. And man, what a bad idea! What a terrible idea, dude. It, it goes for the same thing. Like we were talking about with the heavyweight champions. If you don't know how to referee a fight, if you don't know what's going on, the last thing you want to do just to gain publicity and think it's a joke is to put a guy who's not experienced involved with a, with an actual fight, especially a big high profile fight, because you don't know what's going on. You don't know their agenda, especially back then. And what you have could two, two fighters who are rough, you know, and know how to mm -hmm. fight and know how to wrestle and shit. And then you just put them in there. Man, that's bad. And then what the dude like, and then who was going to step up to Wyatt Earp too back then? Cause I think he was a sheriff at that point in time. Yeah. He was a, he was a known lawman. And yeah. I mean, I mean, he was, I think for most of his life, but like, uh, so you have, uh, Wyatt Earp being brought in and that's actually fairly common too, to have the law involved at a lot of these fights back in this time. Because, you know, back before athletic commissions were a thing in a lot of these places, they were overseen by law enforcement in some capacity. That's why you see so many fights around this time, you know, police inter intervention or police intervene, police stepped in to stop the fight because they were, you know, waiting for it to become more than just a prize fight or something like that. You know, there's a whole host of reasons why it might have been stopped. But Wyatt Earp was... Uh, already renowned as like a lawman and wild west dude or whatever type of thing and a celebrity in his own right but also at the same time you kind of have to remember that a lot of the sheriffs and lawmen around this time were just also like regular ass people they gambled they drank they did what the fuck ever and in Wyatt Earp's case he was a big gambler you know that was his thing was he was mm -hmm. you know big into playing cards and gambling and shit so I mean the and entire, people too yeah the entire backstory behind this is not you know not exactly not exactly a surprise in that regard but dude you know the heavyweight championship between bob fitzsimmons and jack sharkey jack sharkey is already Wait, tom sharkey or yeah sorry yeah tom sailor tom sharkey sorry <laughs> but you know he's just like this little dude who's like five foot seven or something like that and like 200 pounds built like a tank and An he had the crudest tattoo tank. of a shit on yep. his chest that just probably hurt like a bitch. Oh, my God. Because that was definitely some primitive style back then of getting a tat. Yeah, way back before tattoos were, like, remotely fashionable or common. So, I mean, somebody had a yeah. tattoo and that <laughs> shit was, like, fools. That was very noticeable. But, um, yeah, dude, to, to give him that assignment between that high those two high-profile names was pretty crazy especially because uh, Tom Sharkey was a very, seemed, he seemed like a very cantankerous kind of grumpy dude. By, by most accounts, look, I'm not going to say I'm the biggest expert on Sharkey and his personality or whatever it was, but yeah, he was a guy from that era that was short, stout, definitely wouldn't be a heavyweight today, but 
tough as all nails and fought the best of his era at that point. Like he, for one thing, at least um, right before like the Jack, um, Jack Johnson, even before Tommy Burns, like the whole Jim Jeffries era, a lot of those contenders and everything, they kind of, they did mix the match and fight each other. Corbett when he was around still, Fitzsimmons, Gus Rulin, uh, did I pronounce his right? Uh, pronounce his last name correctly? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, Rulon, you know, Tom Sharkey, um, so on and so forth. Fitzsimmons, they 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 all kind of mixed and matched and fought each other around back then. So there was a really deep era, a very tough era, and you had to, you know, really hold your weight to be able to compete in it. You know what I mean? Because a lot of those guys were just like, you know, at the at the cusp. And at that point in time, that was the cutting edge in terms of technique and technology, what was going on with these dudes, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely no question, dude. And and on top of that, like there was, I guess, a somewhat, uh, you know, like somewhat limited field from which to choose, you know. Kowinski too, excuse me. I meant to mention like Kowinski, Kim McCoy. There was a bunch of them back then, yeah. Yeah, absolutely no question, dude. Kowinski was definitely up in that mix. Jack Johnson too, but that was when he was pretty... He, he was still green young. at that point. I would I want yeah, to say that Jackson, yeah, Jack, Jackson, Jackson, excuse me, Jack Johnson was was still learning his craft at the turn of the century. I don't even know if he was still a pro at the turn of the century, but like by that point when these guys were still going on, Johnson really hadn't come on the scene yet, you know. Yeah, he was still pretty young. Like Koyensky got him when he was later in his career, and Johnson exactly. was pretty early in his. But um, but yeah, dude. So you have like with Wyatt Earp and Fitzsimmons and Sharkey. So I mean, I, you can imagine just the scene too, because there's been a number of actually somewhat famous sketches and cartoons done about it around the time that got passed around in the mm-hmm. newspapers afterwards. Some really good ones. But through about seven or eight rounds of fighting, supposedly what wound up happening was um, that Bob Fitzsimmons has taken it to Sharkey. And Fitzsimmons, which is, you know, that's not exactly a surprise because Fitzsimmons is a fantastic fighter, very skilled, very hard hitting. And one of the few fighters that's actually managed to hurt Sailor Tom Sharkey because Sailor Tom Sharkey was like a, you know, an absolute beast. Like you said, built like a tank. Like You couldn't really hurt him either, man. No neck. Go look up photos. The guy has zero neck. You can't. And so he would bore in. Cauliflower ear, the barrel chest, that tattoo. Very intimidating dude. Yeah, extremely intimidating looking guy. And he would bore in, kind of push you against the ropes. And like I said, he was exp- he was experienced as a wrestler and used to train in wrestling. And later on, actually had several pro wrestling uh, bouts. Wasn't that good. Uh, I mean, I think, but that's kind of like a, it's kind of like a, you know, relative because he was a good wrestler against boxers, but against pro wrestlers, wasn't that good. And he wound up getting, uh, he, he, they would, get the falls on him as they as they counted back in that time but point is that was his style pushing back being very aggressive and physical and stuff like that but Fitzsimmons wasn't having it he was leading him around the ring you know pop 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 just basically kicking his ass and then on top of that pushing him around in the clinch too because Bob Fitzsimmons was an extremely strong dude Look, he would have a back of Gibraltar. Yeah, man. He looks he, goofy. He looks goofy as shit. He looks like he looks like your uncle. He looks like somebody you would laugh at in the bar, dude. And then he'd go over and whoop your ass. But he was a he was a blacksmith. Yes. Because his family and his family trade was blacksmithing. And he had apprenticed under his dad as a blacksmith ever since he was pretty young. And he was strong as shit. And so he had no trouble handling 
Tom Sharkey in this fight. And then uh, so out of nowhere, basically, he hits Sharkey. Sharkey acts hurt. And Wyatt Earp declares that Bob Fitzsimmons has hit Sharkey low and hands Sharkey the win on the strength of this, you know, quote unquote, low hit. And it like an entire legal fiasco actually ensued because of this. It was a big thing. Yeah, dude, it was absolutely insanity. And like we talked about before the show, I'm pretty positive that either this fight or a wide or being a referee was referenced in this film in the beginning of it. I haven't watched it in years, and but I know that there was a part of it where they kind of referenced the fight where he was refereeing and some controversial shit arised and everyone like threw a big uproar of it. But yeah, that was definitely a big deal. It was even mentioned in the um, pictorial history of boxing of um, Nat Fleischer and Stan Mandre. There's a photo of Wyatt Earp and they talk about how he was a referee in it too. Like, that was the thing, man. That was, that was a big deal. That was really, really controversial. Yeah, it was big news. It was in the it was in a whole bunch of papers. And it was kind of like a blatant screwing. Like, Fitzsimmons had no, like, that. Was, there was no way he fouled him or did anything. He was just whooping his ass. So, yeah. but yeah, nothing and- ever came out of it that, like, Wyatt Earp had money on Sharky or... This or that. I mean, like you mentioned, you know, the dude was a lawman. He was a big, he was a big time, you know, sheriff and kind of a celebrity at that point. Who was going to try to pin anything on him? He was kind of untouchable yeah. at that. You know? And it, uh, so it actually like a, they took it to court. Uh, Wyatt Earp wound up having to go into court and testify that he saw a low blow. Uh, Tom Sharkey actually got brought in to testify and he testified that he was hit low. I mean, it was, of course you know, he did. It was, it was bad it was you know everybody looked like shit but regardless it what wound up happening with the court case was they threw it out because the fight wasn't supposed to be legal in the first place but again kind of circling back to this whole pavilion thing it took place in mechanics pavilion which was another one of the famous pavilions in san francisco you had uh uh the mechanics pavilion which is where this took place cough rocks cough roths arena which was a little later which was uh you know one of the other famous places in san francisco or around san francisco but since this fight wasn't technically legal the court didn't want to make a ruling on it <laughs> so it's kind of like going to the cops and be like hey dude he stole my crack you know, <laughs> you yeah, know yeah, 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 yeah. but like you know it's it's that's just how it wound up but in terms of the long-term effect here dude obviously we're talking about it Wyatt Earp actually took a really big reputational hit because of this for years and years and years he was like depressed because people used to bring this shit up to him I mean when you make a blunder that big you kind of deserve it right I mean especially when you hold yourself into that type of uh that type of standard so yeah you're a lawman and you're you know exactly or whatever and you come with something that controversial that clearly you flubbed on that one so yeah but so that's what back in 1896 i believe it was 1895 1896 and i mean that's going back quite a ways going back you know 130 years it's way back then another one that wasn't that far back but i did have to mention it because it's one of the more just blatant the the such blunderness and everything caused so many so many different catastrophes and so many different like you know fallouts from it but you you know we you and i both like when we talked about the show beforehand we were talking about like we didn't want to bring up anything like too drastic or bad especially like ring deaths and all that but this has to be mentioned um the referee alfred asaro for Joel mcclellan against nigel ben in 1995 yeah dude 
Yeah. And I guess I'll just kind of take a moment to say, if you did listen into this whole thing, please don't hit us up with, hey, you guys didn't talk about so-and-so referee where such-and-such fighter died. Like, we know. We know that was a bad uh, officiating performance because somebody died. So, you know, just save your breath and typing, please. But yes, that was bad, obviously, because Gerald McClellan wound up in the state that he is currently. But, but I mean, it even never if, even, even had to be not, like that. The fight should have ended in the first round. I'm going to stand by that. Like It probably should have. Yeah. And it not to say that have. Ben couldn't have continued. Obviously, he could have. But just the way the circumstances are, if you go by the rules of boxing, Ben was counted out. But Alfred Osaro, who had no business whatsoever refereeing a fight of that magnitude for various reasons, I think employed a 20 count on Ben, didn't he? The argument, yeah, yes, he did. The argument is that since Ben hit the apron and kind of exited the ring that he but should have no, been No, he didn't. No, that was a 10 count but... still. You need to completely fall the hell out of the ring onto like press row yeah. or some shit. Yeah. Like that was a So flop. it was a bad call there. And then, yeah, dude, it's a, it's a, that's depressing that, like, to watch. Oof. He couldn't, you know, he couldn't speak English. And not to say mm. that has to be a pre, like a complete requirement, but when both guys' primary, primary language count. is English, you would think, yeah, you got to at least count in English, you know. Yeah, I, mean, I would imagine. But and when they had and they had a documentary, the documentary that came out about a decade ago about that fight, and they're interviewing Asaro, and he's trying to justify that he could referee that fight, and he counts. He's like, yo, one, two, uh, no, still, even at that point, he's trying like he has the basic things. He's like, break, clinch, get no, like this. This isn't amateur boxing. This isn't the type of thing where you can get away with that. This is a pro fight with two yeah. nasty-ass dudes, two of the nastiest guys in the division of that era, clashing heads, and you putting your involved. It, it, was, it was a recipe for disaster. And there were a bunch of, you know, behind-the-scenes things on McClellan's side, supposedly, yes. with a visa, with, you know, his team. I mean, there's, an, there's a large, a fairly large book written about this encounter, you know, War Baby by Kevin Mitchell's great, uh, great book. But, um, you know, yeah, there was a lot of outside circumstances, too. So it's like you can't just blame it on somebody. However, it was a consistently bad, uh, a consistently bad performance from that referee who allowed Nigel Ben to really just hammer the shit out of Gerald McClellan's brainstem mm -hmm. with rabbit punches, dude, like badly. And it's not like Nigel Ben's like, not a puncher he's a massive puncher Huge. so that's just a terrible terrible performance dude and, and that's what it was so round one mcclellan comes right out the jump the way he does and at that point in time i remember watching the first time i saw mcclellan was against the rematch against julian jackson came out mike tyson and just blitzed him in a round and he looked like he was doing the same thing against ben because when i watched it with my dad and I'm not, I never, I didn't finish watching the whole fight. I fell asleep during it, but I did watch the, I remember watching the first few rounds. The first round he came out there, just blah, 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 blah. Ben had no idea what the hell just happened. You know, Ben, who was a notoriously slow starter himself, sometimes um, got caught. He was just caught and he overwhelmed, but he was legitimately hurt when he got knocked through the ropes. And like you said, that he was, he was out for more than 10 seconds. Any other referee who was competent would have ended it right then and there. 
and he didn't you know it was a very very long count he did the whole thing and ben got brought through but that was a lot of controversy and bullshit right yeah there. he kind of got helped through a little bit yeah yeah and serious. everything it, it was just it was it was ridiculous but mcclellan was robbed of a knockout from the jump and then from there like you mentioned the rabbit punches it was just a brutal brutal fight that one that i don't even like to go back and watch now knowing what happens and it it's bad like there's a lot of fouls and by the end of it, McClellan is just like, you know, his eyes are just vacant. You know what I mean? And when he goes down at the end, blinking. yeah, 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 with the blinking and everything. And then goddamn Ferdy Pacheco calling him out saying he quit, he quit, he quit. Like it's, it's, it's just bad all around. But that referee, dude, he just was completely incompetent. He let everything go on. He didn't, I don't think he took any uh, points away. I'm, I'm positive he didn't take any points away. And, yeah, just I'm not gonna put full like you said full blame on everything on just that, but certainly that was a major factor. Yeah, you know, there was there was just a lot going on overall, like you know, in surrounding the fight, but the way that he allowed him to hit him with so many rabbit punches was just that's the kind of shit. And we were just talking about that with Lawrence Oakley the uh, yesterday yesterday you know that was the exact same kind of thing happened where i don't even know the referee's name i'd have to bring it up but he allowed oakley to get hit with like you know maybe a couple dozen or more rabbit punches and it's just luckily nothing happened but dude pritchard cologne pritchard cologne unfortunately yes you know got hit with endless rabbit punches and it's the kind of situation where you just randy carver is a name that most people won't be familiar with but he was a prospect contender in the late 90s who got killed by um caribbean salim same thing rabbit punches and a bunch of other stuff yeah man but on a lighter note on a lighter note we'll get off of that because it's just some dark shit that we'll get into um another 20 count and i wanted to bring this one up and i'm pretty sure you weren't expecting this one you remember freddie norwood Derek gainer and the shit show that came about oh my god dude that was like just a, well just about any freddie norwood fight take your pick and that but this one but this but... one takes the cake for how wild it was and the ending of it ended with a 20 count from referee paul cita <laughs> with norwood i think well this is what it was norwood who was a lot short shorter than game than gainer it was an ugly fight to begin yeah gainer's just a gangly like slapping ass like the yeah. dude was just and, awkward to watch a lot of the time and freddie norwood even though he was called little Hagler, which was not a which was not an adapt nickname um yeah it was an appearance only that's yeah, it exactly <laughs> a mauling guy who came in there and did his thing but it, it was an ugly fight one that you it's just really, really bad, and it just didn't really appeal well. But the end of it is absolutely hilarious because Norwood, who was going low throughout the night, um, went low again, and Gaynor decided to retaliate finally with two massive low blows. Norwood went down. The referee, Paul Cita, had no idea what was going on, completely lost control, and started a 20-count on Norwood <laughs> because he didn't know what else to do. Yeah, which dude. Norwood couldn't, which Norwood couldn't finish, and then you know Gainer was awarded a knockout victory. Yeah, and Gainer's like you know understandably frustrated, you know yes. after all of the mauling and fouling from from Norwood, who was a you know a notorious mauler and fouler. But yeah, dude, it's kind of like it's very uh, Hatton Zoo esque, dude. Where Hatton just yeah, like it's, a, it's just completely off the rails, man. And you can tell he had no idea what was going on. The referee was just yeah, it was bad. Oof. 
yeah dude that's a i didn't even know i would not i would not have thought about that one that one was just so funny i watched it live and i remember laughing i watched it recently and just like skipped to the end because i didn't want to go through the whole fight and seeing the ending of it, I started laughing myself again because it's absolutely ridiculous. That's, it's that's, completely that's, ridiculous. The, like, that's the Ashley Simpson, dude. I, well, my band played the wrong thing, so I just did a hoedown. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, the they, you could tell the referee completely lost control. He doesn't know what the hell is going on. Norwood is writhing on the canvas. Gainer clearly just like he got pissed off, and rightfully so. You get hit low enough, you're going to like retaliate. And it scored him a knockout victory. And then like the post-fight interviews and everything, it was hilarious. That, no, I wouldn't have thought of that one. That's a pretty good one, dude. The yeah. round robin between like some, like those featherweights and then a couple of dudes who like uh, were lightweight were really fun in like the late nineties. Well, well absolutely. at least fun in terms of like the, the entertainment factor, not necessarily from the fights themselves, just the yeah. back and forth between them. I got, I think I got, I got one more. I, I think I got one more pretty good one that I think you also probably wouldn't have thought to bring up, but okay. I did think about it earlier and I was like, all right, I think that's a pretty good one. Even though I don't know much about the background of the fight. Um, it's a good go find this on YouTube and watch it fight. Cause you'll be fucking shocked and probably vomit. It's Ingemar Johansson versus Eddie Machen. Like I'm oh going to bring God. that up, but yes, sir. Absolutely. Bro, man. Wowzers. Public wowzers. execution wowzers now there aren't i mean thank goodness eddie machen didn't wind up like benny perrette from this because it's pretty much the exact same same type of situation where and and beyond it being the same type of situation dude ingemar johansson could really pop and was absolutely slaughtering eddie machen i mean dude it's two minutes into the fight eddie machen is obviously no match for ingemar johansson on this evening in gothenburg sweden you know Ingemar Johansson had such a short window for like when he was actually good. And this came inside of that window. You know, this is the fight that actually got Ingemar Johansson the shot at uh, Floyd Patterson. Yeah. So, you know, Eddie Machen gets stumbled backwards into uh, what's another good example. Ike, um, Ike Williams versus Bo Jack. Like an, that's one. another very similar, like, uh, where the fighter just gets trapped in the corner and is like propped up and the or, dude is just fucking hammering. Or if you want to use a more recent example of someone just getting absolutely annihilated, you want to use um, Alan Green against Jadon Codrington. Oh yeah, that was bad too. So, yeah, yeah, that was bad. You know, caught up on the Morrison, no. yeah. just, you know, getting trapped on the ropes mm -hmm, and just getting mm -hmm. absolutely hammered. And that's exactly what happened here, except for obviously it was, you know, Ingemar Johansson and like full force, just fucking crack, crack, crack. The referee is just looking like he couldn't even be bothered. He was just like waiting for it to. And then you see Eddie Mason just drop to the canvas, like awful, just terrible. And the referee's like counting. <sighs> Mason's after the, because he gets up the first time, correct? Yeah, he got knocked down two or three times. Yeah, he like went down a few times. The last knockdown, he's laying there unconscious. Unconscious. Like, it, it, it looks like he's almost dead. His cornermen are helping him at this point, right? They are, like, tending to him, pulling out his mouthpiece, doing that. The referee is still counting. Like, that yeah, is one of the more surreal scenes, one of the crazier scenes you'll ever see. The referee is still counting while Machen's corner is trying to, like, revive him from not, like, from being completely obliterated. It is one of the most brutal scary vicious yeah dude I, 
unnecessary looking knockouts you will ever see, man, because in this day and age, some EMT would be like jump kicking that referee out of the way, like fucking, yeah. Yeah. you know, after the first knockdown, after the first wow. knockdown, not even like letting him get up because like you mentioned, Machen, who was a very, very good fighter, a uh, hard luck guy who oh he just came around at the wrong time. Yeah, I mean, came around the Patterson era when Customato was gonna make sure that he had no chance of getting a title shot back then. And got fed to Sonny Liston. And everyone else around that time. Yeah. So it's like you watch it, like you said, that when he gets dropped, man, because like Johansson kind of like jumps at him with that right hand, boom, boom, and like drops him hard. Machen wasn't expecting it. He's out. He gets up and he's just, he's a, he's a corpse. Like, you know, I mean, he has no idea what's going on and anyone else would have stopped it immediately. Instead, he just came in, he was able to tee off and it, it's bad. It's really, really brutal. And Johansson just, just went off on him and the referee is just kind of standing there like, yeah, go ahead, finish him. You know, this isn't a Roman like gladiator error or some crazy shit. Like you're not supposed to let a fight go on like that. You know, this was on par to a brutality on par for like Dempsey Willard type issue. You know what I mean? It was, it's, it's disturbing. And yeah, Machen, unfortunately, was never the same after that never. knockout. Nope. Never. Whether it was in his professional career or like personal life either. Like he was just, you know. Yeah, it's, it's an awful, like even objectively, it's really a bad knockout. Like his head hits hard. Yeah. He takes a lot of hits. It's bad. And I mean, it's really, really bad. He never Andrew Smythe. That. That's the referee's name, Andrew Smythe. I know that he had refereed a number of other, like not massive fights, but like, you know, a higher profile heavyweight fights around this time. But I, he had no business. No business. Oh, man. Not, a, not at all, dude. That was, that's a really good one, actually. A very, very good example. And, um, you know, actually, I had to bring it up to mention this too, because someone, uh, a friend of ours on Twitter, mentioned this one ninja mike og actually ninja mike 67 excuse me um roger yanez referee roger yanez he let Al remember alice garcia bernard benton same thing well it was just benton just get absolutely teed off and just blasted and blasted and blasted and blasted un you know uncontrollably there there's referees like that that just let shit like that happen you know, and like Cooney Norton, for example, things like that. But um, the last one I'm going to bring up just because it got brought up so much on Twitter from people uh, asking about it when, or mentioning it, mentioning it when I brought it up was uh, you have to bring up Lucian Boutte um, <laughs> against uh, uh, Librado Andrade. Yes, Librado Andrade, yeah, yeah, yeah. Marlon B. Wright. I remember yeah. that. I remember that. I remember that very well. Everybody yeah, Marlon is. Wright. I, I don't know if Marlon Wright, I'm not even sure he's still alive. No, he's not. He passed away a few years ago, unfortunately. Yeah, but he was refereeing for a number of years after that. So it's not I mean, like to be honest, I'm going to say that was his only, I think that was his only controversy was that fight after that. that was, yeah, yeah, that was just kind of it. And, and on top of that, to be fair, that didn't seem like a blatant, like, corruption. Like, that was no, like, he no, made a shitty decision the moment, like, in the moment. Yeah. Yeah, he made like a bad decision in the moment, and Librado Andrade, like you know, I I remember that. I actually remember watching that. We all Excuse do. Me. And I remember feeling at the time like Andrade got fucked. 
Like I, everybody did because everybody loved Andrade. He was such a good guy and hard look and yeah. easy to root for and all that. And that and was his moment. That was his only. That yes. was the closest he was ever gonna fucking. Come. He was losing the oh. fight and everything. Had it right there, and then he was. So it was emotion. I totally get yeah. it. Everybody. But now looking back, he should have gone to his fucking corner, dude. He just should have gone to the corner. Damn it. But if Richard Steele was doing his job too against Chavez, he would have turned around and realized that Chavez was literally right behind him. And would have yelled at him, get back to your corner, and Meldrick Taylor would have survived that fight too. That's true. And you know, I guess I guess we do have to bring up Chavez Taylor, at least at some capacity, even just to ask, like, what do you what do you feel about Chavez Taylor? What happened? Do you agree, disagree? I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Look, man, I'm gonna, you know, it's it's easy to say as a referee, you're not supposed to know what time it is, you're just looking at the fighter's eyes. But dude, literally, it's Taylor fought the fight of his life. Here's the here's the thing I'm saying. Taylor literally fought the fight of his life the whole time. He did, all right? Even though Lou Duver and George Benton, surprisingly, gave him bad advice, told him you need to go out there and fight him tooth and nail to win this fight, which he didn't, but they told him that. He should have just tried to stay away because he was completely shot. Like, he had fought that point that much that he deserved to at least get out of it, like to at least get the, the, the benefit of the doubt, all right? As a champion, he should have gotten that. Two... Steal like when they're right there, you can't tell me you can't say you can't tell me you can't see that fucking red light flashing in your eye, signifying 10 seconds, even though you're looking at Meldrick Taylor, you have to see that it's bright enough, it's right there, and it was flashing that there was only 10 seconds left. All right, and then you all those things, Steel should have done that right there, you know. It was the heat of the moment, or whatever it may have been. I don't find any corruption, but like I, I think Taylor should have deserved that. And even though regardless of if he had won or lost, Taylor's career would have ended the way it was because he definitely would have been ruined from that fight. He deserved at least to have that victory. Yeah, I would, I tend to agree, dude. Like, I mean, I, I agree with the stoppage in the sense that we, because we now have the benefit of 2020 hindsight and we know what happened to Taylor. So it's like, yeah, it's easy to look at that and say he made the correct decision because that dude was fucked up. And had he taken another punch, who knows? And that's true. I don't think that's incorrect to say, but at the same time, you know, that's with the benefit of hindsight. That's knowing everything we know now. And at the time, Richard Steele obviously didn't know that. And just in terms of like cosmic justice, fucking karma, whatever you want to call it, balancing out, it's mm-hmm. like Meldrick Taylor deserved to win that fight, you know, and obviously oh, deserved has nothing to do with it, but he deserved to win that fight. And then, but here's the thing is that like that fight is so controversial in what he's defined by that people forget literally around that same time, less than a year later, he had another one with Tyson, uh, Tyson Razor on it. Yep. That's right. And well, and the, the combination of those things, dude, it was mostly Taylor, Taylor Chavez, but plus Tyson Ruddock, that dude for like a decade, 15 years, 20 years, yes. he can't go anywhere with people. Boo. Fuck Richard. St- like literally. Yeah. Like he can't I'll give go you, anywhere. I'll tell so you he's paid per- his dues. <laughs> I'll give you a perfect example, bro. All right. When I was a kid, the, my dad was a box, obviously. That's why I got into the sport because of my dad. But, like, when I wasn't into boxing, really, I was, like, slightly learning about the sport. I knew who Chavez was and Tyson and a couple other guys, but I wasn't really a fan yet. I used to overhear them talking about Richard Seal, my dad and his uncles. They would always, like, you know, when they were talking about boxing and all that. And then one day I read a magazine, and 
because I knew who Chavez was because I think this was at this point he lost to Randall. And um, I remember reading it and it said, in, on the cover and the head of lining of it, it said, Richard Steele is a dirty bleep. That's what it said, bleep. Completely, <laughs> all right? So you're going to laugh at this. I go with my mom to Chicago for a business trip and we went to some like famous pizza restaurant, right? Where they gave you white out to, uh, to paint on the walls or whatever you want, right? I already know where this <laughs> is going, but do it. Literally, I'm not, I'm not bullshitting you. This is absolutely true. I'm a kid and I don't even know what I'm writing, but I, for whatever reason, seeing Chavez, uh, a pissed off Chavez on a cover of a magazine and, and with a cover of it, I wrote down what white out Richard Steele is a dirty bleep. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't Still even know what I was writing. I literally just wrote that because I didn't know what else to write. I think my mom just wrote Pina Family here, 19, whatever <laughs> it was. <laughs> and I wrote that. Still written there to this day. I, who knows? <laughs> Hopefully it was covered up since then because I like Richard Seal, but um that's hilarious. I was a kid. I'm not even lying. I really wrote that. That shows you how much of a weird nerd I was as a kid. <laughs> that's fucking hilarious. That's yeah. how far back we go. Yes. So before we get out of here, dude, I actually did I I did a couple, I took a few minutes because I, this is something I've been meaning to do. And I was a bad guy, bad boy, kept fucking up and forgetting. And so I wanted to take a few minutes to give some shout outs to people I know that have been listening in and been, have been commenting and saying shit. And just, you know, just why not? Because that's the right thing to do. So oh, I did yeah. want to give out some shout outs to uh, Gotham Nagash, for instance, Bradley Edwards, Corey Erdman, Greg yes. Johnson, Lily Uloa, Austin Tyler, Sam Acuna, Reggie Dunlop, Theo Coggs, Lee Gormley, Corey Heitman, Chris Dowdle, Matteo Boom Boom, my boy, uh, Luis Eight Deuce, uh, D Two uh, B Two, I think is his his Twitter name. Swill Dog, my boy Anthony Liberationist MA, uh, Romel Marquez, Nooch Enoch, Alex Pierpoli, our guy Eric Freeds, uh, Ninja Mike Sixty Seven, Master Angler Jim, Briley Van Dyke, Matt Clark, Ross Sutherland, Jay Sparks, Robert Gillies. So if I missed anybody, I apologize. I really do. Tried to cover as many people as possible. Because look, dude, I I know Eris feels the same way. Like, we're just on here fucking talking, having fun. We love history. We love boxing. So a lot of this is just us. Like, you know, we have these same kind of conversations, like not recorded fairly frequently. So this is just us having Almost fun. Every we, day, bro. <laughs> dude, like pretty frequently. So this is just us having fun. And if you're really listening in and enjoying it, like, we appreciate you because showing us support is it's good shit, dude. And makes us feel good. Eris, I appreciate you, bro. Thanks for doing the ref thing with me. Oh, this was a lot of fun today, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah. This is awesome. Well, everybody, including everybody, I just shouted out and named, uh, in the meanwhile, while you wait for a new episode, if you are on social media, if you wouldn't mind giving us a follow, that would be appreciated. For instance, if you're on Twitter, follow my boy, Eris Pina at punch zone, Eris, Follow me, Patrick Connor, Patrick M. Connor. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. But uh, if you go on to YouTube and you watch us there, subscribe, give us a comment and rating, appreciate it. And also the podcast apps, of course, wherever it is you might listen, rating, comment, always appreciated. Eris, we will converse soon, bro. Sounds good. Thank you, everyone, for listening. All right, everybody, later. Oh, 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.